Good morning, church family. Good morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. If your neighbor did not just turn to you and say that they're glad you're here, you were their second choice. Tell them that hurt my feelings. If that was you. Open your Bible to the book of Acts. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 3. I want to talk to you this morning about being a world changer. We're building this sermon series out of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And as a church, WFR wants to carry the message of the gospel to our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And we have been a church that has been committed to doing that, um, and we're going to continue in our commitment to doing that. And I just want to say that I firmly believe we can change the world from the great state of Louisiana. Can I get an amen? There are some Auburn Tigers fans whose world literally changed last night uh, in the fourth quarter of that football game. Can I get a big Go Tigers on three? One, two, three. Go Tigers. All right. If you didn't see it, uh, it was a great game. And I promise you uh, there are still some broken Auburn hearts this morning. Uh, Yeah, we absolutely can change the world from Louisiana. And I want to teach you a little bit from Acts chapter 3 about the idea of compassion. And I believe if you can grow in compassion, then what you can do is take the next step forward in changing the world in which God has called you to live. So I'm going to go to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses of scripture for you here. I've got these on the screen this morning. The Bible says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day uh, to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him, them, his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them in the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. One simple act of compassion not only changed this man's life, but changed the atmosphere of the little world in which Peter and John were a part of that morning. In the Scriptures, Pentecost has just happened. God's Spirit is powerfully moving across the face of the earth. And we got two disciples who are faithfully doing what they've been taught to do. They're headed to the temple to pray. And I want to focus just for a minute on the fact that Peter and John are together to teach you first that a compassionate heart is a loving heart. That's the first thing I want to mention to you. A compassionate heart is a loving heart. Now, if we were to look at the life of John in the Scriptures, we would all come to the agreement that John is the apostle of love. If you read the Gospel of John, the letters that John wrote, the the primary focus of his writing and teaching and even his life 
is love. It's where we get the lyrics from one of my favorite songs, which is taken from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, love one another, for love is from God. He who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. I'd sing this last part for you, but I don't want you to walk out of here uh, this morning. For God is love. So if we look at the life of John, we see that John is the disciple of love. But if we look at the life of Peter, you know what I would call Peter the disciple of, man? I'd call him the disciple of failure. This guy was the disciple of failure. Peter in Matthew 26 denies our Lord Jesus three times after Jesus told him, hey, you're going to be tempted to deny me three times, you're going to do it. And despite that forewarning, Peter still failed. If we, if we turn our Bibles over to Galatians 2, and I don't have these on the screen for you, you may just jot these down in your notes. In Galatians 2, Peter's a hypocrite. He's eating with some Gentiles, probably foods that most Jews would say he shouldn't eat. And then when Jews come to visit with Peter and, and Paul and, and to see the work of the Lord going on in, in this particular community, Peter all of a sudden stops eating with the Gentiles and now just wants to eat with, with the Jews. And he's a hypocrite. He fails. He has a, he has a moral failure. And still, John is willing to be seen in public with this guy. And here's what I think about the relationship between Peter and John. And I think it gives us a pretty clear sense of what loving hearts value. What does love look like in everyday life? What do loving hearts value? I've got a couple of thoughts up here on the screen for you. Loving hearts first value love over gossip. Loving hearts value love over gossip. Now, here's what could have happened when Peter fails and he denies Jesus three times or he's confronted by Paul because he's a hypocrite. All the other disciples could have gotten together and are like, man, that Peter, he is one messed up guy. Have you heard about what Peter did? This guy denied Jesus three times or his language is bad or his ministry is inconsistent or his lifestyle is one way around one group of people and a different way around another group of people. It is so easy instead of loving people and seeing the good in them to gossip about and slander people because of their flaws. And so often in church... We miss out on changing the world in which we live because we're too caught up pointing out someone's flaws when we should be consumed with loving somebody despite their failure. Somebody give me an amen this morning. That's the love that God shows us through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross at Calvary. And a loving heart values love over gossip. And I I, I believe this. I believe Peter desperately needed the loving support of John. Peter was one of the most powerful transformational people in the early church. Him and Paul basically did the the lion's share of the work. And I don't think Peter could have gotten the work done he needed to do without the loving support of a guy like John who was going to come alongside him and live in community with him and connect with him rather than keep a guy like Peter isolated. Man, Peter's failed. 
His life's a little inconsistent. I'm not going to fellowship with that guy. I'm not going to hang out with that guy. I'm not going to live in community with that guy. And so many of us just edit out people who have made mistakes or had failures in their life and don't want to live in community with those kinds of people when God is calling us to do the exact opposite. And some of those mistake makers and some of those failures are going to be the very world changers that God uses to totally transform communities and even whole nations. But those world changers depend on, on people like us who will love them despite of their mistakes and live in community with them despite their failures to provide the encouragement and the support needed for them to go on mission and answer the call of God in their lives. And without love, they're lacking the support and the encouragement they depend on. And the reason we don't give that loving, encouraging support is because we live in a competitive, performance-based culture. We really do, and it really has influenced our way of thinking. One of the things most of us do when we make a mistake is we compare our mistake (laughs) To the mistake of somebody we know pretty well. Well, yeah, I didn't show up in church, but so-and-so had an affair. You know, or man, I, you know, hadn't, hadn't really given of my time and tithes like I should, but so-and-so's relapsed. They're back out there getting high again. I, I'm, I'm at least not as bad as that person. We gotta stop doing that in churches. We gotta stop isolating people and gossiping about people and not supporting people. And instead, we got to be willing to love on the very people that could be world changers if we would show them the kind of love that John was willing to show Peter. I hope that you'll chew on that and think about it. So here's the other thing. Peter and John, these guys were some religious dudes, man. How do you know that, Trent? Because they were headed to church at the right time, at the right day, in the right place. They, got, they knew the routine. And, and they were headed to church, and they were going to pray just like they had been taught, and then they were inconvenienced. Some of y'all were inconvenienced this morning, either by kids or traffic or blocked off roads because of a, of a 5K or something, something happened, all right? And some of y'all were inconvenienced coming to church this morning. And some of you guys did the opposite of what Peter and John do. And we just get this sourpuss look on our face. Man, I can't believe the world doesn't revolve around me and my schedule. You know? I can't believe Monroe, West Monroe didn't know I'd be driving through here right now. Or so, I can't believe these guys are going so slow and I'm obviously in a hurry. Or I can't believe the Tigers didn't put Auburn away in the third quarters. I go to bed early enough to get up early enough to get on to church at time. So, so, so world-changing compassion values inconvenience. If you're going to be a world changer first, your heart has to be a loving heart, but your heart also has to learn to value inconvenience. Uh, Peter and John in this moment were somebody. Now, I've preached some good sermons. I've preached one or two bad ones, I know. But I've preached a lot of good. Huh? What's that? Okay. Because I'll sit up here and preach for three or four hours if y'all don't give me some positive affirmation, okay? Uh, I, I, I preached a couple good. I know I preached some bad ones. Right, but, but Peter has just preached a, a, a world championship caliber sermon. 3,000 people out of the church. The Spirit of God moves, moves powerfully on the day of Pentecost. You have to think, knowing what we know about Peter, he, he got the dirt brushed off his shoulder walking into church this morning. You know, 
I've preached this sermon, 3,000 people come to know Christ. You know, I've had all these baptisms going on. Look at the effectiveness of my ministry. I can't wait to show up in church today. You know, I'm ready to hear, hey, Peter, you got it going on, man. That sermon changed my life. Your wisdom, your Christ-centeredness, your anointing. Man, how can I be like you, Peter? He's headed to church. He's laser-focused. He was somebody, but he was willing to be inconvenienced by a nobody. And a world-changing heart values inconvenience. It makes convenience matter. I want to give you a couple of thoughts on this. So how do we really make inconvenience matter? So often we have a plan, but God has a deeper purpose within our plan. That's Proverbs 16, 9. I don't have this on the screen. We, we have our plans in our heart, Proverbs 16, 9 says, but it is the Lord who ultimately establishes our steps. In other words, you may have a plan, but God may have a deeper purpose within your plan that probably is going to feel like an inconvenience when you're laser focused on the destination that your plan is supposed to give you to. Funny story about this. Kirsten and I get married. I'm in grad school. I'm learning everything I can. They're all like teaching me to be super goal oriented and, you know, have the pathway marked out straight. Promise you, we had a five year plan written out when we got married that was like a month to month. Here's what we're going to do in this plan. It didn't involve having children. It did not involve moving from the state we lived in at the time. And it did not involve me getting any more education. None of that happened. It all changed within the first five years. And it was so chaotic and crazy, we forgot about the five-year plan. And so we're going through some papers, because y'all are like me too. We all got these papers that are the goodwill papers, not that we're going to turn to goodwill, but that we have good intentions for that we just never do anything with. And so we had this stack of goodwill papers that we had good intentions to do something with. But had, and we're going through it, trying to file it, trying to destroy, destroy some, knowing we got to shred some. And Kirsten pulls out the five-year plan. And it was so funny to see how God's purpose changed our plan. And it's not that the plan was so different. I wanted to do ministry. I wanted to be on the front lines helping people. I am a broken, messed up dude. And I have been so blessed by people who were willing to love on a failure like me. And I, I wanted to do that. I, I, was, I, I have been, for, since, since I was converted, very clear on that calling. But it looked, it, today, I promise you, uh, ten years ago, I never would have believed I'd be a Tigers fan. Alright? Uh, and it's those kinds of things that have totally changed, but, but really the, the, the purpose has stayed the same, even though the plan has changed. And I want you to be prepared for and make the inconveniences in your life matter. Make them mean something. Here comes Peter and John headed to church. They got a plan, but God had a deeper purpose. He was allowing them to set the plan of going to church and praying in their heart because he knew that he wanted a man's life to be changed. Okay, And not only do they, they, they have the ability to see God's purpose in the plan, but they have a your effort matters more than your expertise type of awareness. They've got a, your effort matters more than your expertise type of an awareness. We all, ladies and gentlemen, feel unqualified to the ministries God is calling us to. 
That's why God is calling us to those ministries. If I feel unqualified, that means I've got to rely on something other than myself to qualify me for the thing God's calling me into. So if you feel unqualified a little bit to talk to a specific person or give a little bit of your time or give a little bit of your money or, or like you don't quite know the right words to say or you feel like you're going to mess up or you don't have enough time or how are you going to get all this to work in your schedule, or, or, or I promise you, you're not qualified. But the God you serve is. And your effort will always make a much bigger difference than your expertise. How do I know? Because in the course of my messed up life and the mistakes I've made, I have sat with expert after expert after expert after expert. And they could tell me what was going on with me, what was troubling me, but they couldn't transform me. And it wasn't until some people really loved on me, just putting in the right effort, that my life transformed. And I don't want you to believe the enemy's lies that you're not qualified and you're going to fail. Because the truth is you're not qualified, but because of that you won't fail as long as you depend on God to do the ministry He's called you to do and you're willing to put in effort to that calling. All Peter and, and John had to do was be willing to put in a little bit of effort. These were not learned guys. They weren't experts in their field. They hadn't succeeded in business. If anything, they really knew how to make some big, huge mistakes in life. But they were willing to put effort in where their expertise was lacking. Because they had a deep, deep love for people. And that's really what it boils down to. A world-changing compassion is a heart that makes inconvenience matter by putting people first. What can come over people? Plans can come above people. Plans can come. What you're planning, what you hope to do, what you want to do, that can come above people. Your own self can get in the way of you loving on people. What you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, how easy it is to do, whether you like this certain person or not, whether you want to talk to this person or not, whether you want to go to this place or not. But if you will learn to put people first, I promise what you'll see is the fruit of the lifestyle of Jesus begin to manifest itself in your life. Because that's the way our Lord Jesus Christ loved, even to the point of it taking him to the cross of Calvary. Come on, somebody. He was willing to put you first. And some of us, have you ever noticed, I thought about this as I was thinking about this. In a football game, certain players just always seem to be where the action is. I was never that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd be on the football field, and it was always, I can remember the guy's name. I'm not going to say it here, but I know the guy's name on my high school football team who just always seemed to be right where the action was. And there are those people in this church, too. There are people in this church who are just right always seeming to be where the action is. Why? How do they do that? And some of us who are not there are asking ourselves that question. Man, how do I get the chance to talk to a person when they're broken? Or how do I get the chance to really serve somebody when they're in need? Or how am I going to get the chance to really share the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody who's open and vulnerable to hear? 
I promise you this, I still don't know what it is about football, but I do know what it is about church. The people who are on the front lines and always seem to be where the action is are the people who put people first. They're people who put people first. And if you're the type of person who's going to put people first and value inconvenience over your plans or yourself, then God's going to put you on the front lines. He's going to put you where the action is. And can I just say that that's the place you want to be, I promise you? If you're not where the action is, it is so easy to grow cold and complacent in our faith. To just show up and suit up but never get called into the game makes it really hard to want to keep playing for the team. And so eventually what do we do? We decide, ah, this certain thing's just not for me or I'm just going to find something else to do. And, and pretty soon, what do you, what do you notice? Man, there's this slow drift. Oh. But if you'll put people first, God will put you in the middle of some situations that will help you stay on track and feel motivated and see God's transformational power in the world. And it will absolutely move your spirit and your life. To really, to really put people first, though, you've got to have a giving attitude. And a compassionate heart is a giving heart and a heart with a giving attitude. How, how do I know that? Because people will kick you in the teeth. They don't mean to do it. Most of the time, they're not trying to do it, but I promise you it's going to happen. If you, if you work around people enough and you love people enough and you put people in enough of a priority, at some point you're going to lose a tooth or two or get a scar or two, all right? And that's to be valued. That's something we, we want. That's something uh, Peter and John really do well. That's something that this church does incredibly well. That's one reason I'm so proud to be a part of the ministry here. Man, we, we can take on some challenges and we can keep moving forward. So, so if we're looking at what a giving attitude really looks like, uh, uh, Peter and John show us a couple of things. Right? A giving attitude really is, I, I, uh, I've got these on the screen for you, a what I have I'll give mentality. What to give you don't always have to have. Let me say that again. To give, you don't always have to have something. So the question for me is, what is it that Peter and John did not have that would have made us feel unqualified to give? Well, I could guess, but the text tells us one thing. One thing we know that they didn't have. For sure, these guys, this guy's like, hey... Can you help me? <laughs> and Peter and John go, look at us. Now, some scholars and theologians, theologians have taken a different approach to interpret that. <laughs> but here's what I think they're trying to say to this guy. He says, hey, can you all help me? And I think they're like, man, look at us. Do we look like we have something to give you, man? You know, we don't have any money, bro. You know, silver and gold, we ain't got none. You know, look at, look at us, dude. But when they say, look at us, this guy can see something in them that he wants. And he looks at them with this anticipating expectation of receiving something. And you guys know what I'm talking about here. Because I've seen it in some people too. Where you've seen somebody and just, you've sensed in their spirit 
something that you want, man. And here's what I would say to myself. I want, you said this before, what they got. I want what they got. And I'll tell you something, church. While, I, while there have been plenty of times in my life I would have liked more cash, I have never said I want what they got about somebody who just had more money than me. And I bet if you're being honest with yourself, you've never really said that about somebody just because they had a little more coin to rub together than you had. And I don't think that's what this guy at this, in this courtyard saw when he looked at these guys. I don't think he saw, hey man, they got more money than I got. The other thing I was thinking that we know for sure from the text is they had more physical health than he had, right? These guys walk in of their own two, on their own two feet. This guy has to be carried in by friends. But I, but I haven't really said that either. While I might like to be stronger or younger or whatever, when I've noticed somebody that seems to have a peace with God that just flows out of them, and you can sense this, I've thought to myself, whoa, I want some of that. And when I was busted up, broken down, drug addicted, depressed, headed, headed for death, really, there were some people that loved on me and valued the inconvenience I was in their life enough to really pour into me, to give me some of what they had. None of these people were wealthy people. None of these people were superstar athletes. None of these people were scholared theologians. None of these people were well-educated experts in any given field. But I promise you, these people were so deeply connected to Christ that it took less than a millisecond for me to talk to them and think to myself, man, I want some of that. And if you're going to be a world changer, you've got to have a little bit of that in your life. You got to have a little bit of that. In other words, when people talk to you, can they sense you're so close to Christ that no matter the hurricane force winds that blow, or no matter how deep the valley is, or no matter how high the mountain is to climb, or no matter how dry the season of life you're in right now feels, or how isolated you feel, or how attacked you feel by the enemy, or how at war you feel with our culture, or how uh, abused and in pain you feel by the sin of someone else, can somebody look at you and see, man, ain't nothing in this world greater than them because the God they serve who is in them is so much greater than anything I sense they could come up against in the world. Is that the kind of man or woman that you are? Because if you are, I promise, you always have something to give. And what you give will make a bigger difference than you can possibly realize. And the difference you make will have a more lasting impact than you can possibly imagine. And I'm a, I'm a testimony of that. The people that poured into my life couldn't have known where God would lead me. And God's doing something in my life because of their effort, because they had of what I have, I'll give attitude. Man. Some of those guys would have said, Trent, man, look at me. Ain't got nothing in these pockets, dude. I'm beat up. I've had surgeries. I've had joints replaced. I've had... But man, I didn't want any of that, and neither do you. I want that connection with Christ that they had, that they invested in me with. Be that person. Serve God that much. Love God that much. Surrender to God that much. 
So if, we, if, if you guys ever fly on an airplane, you're going you're gonna to get greeted by some people that I have a love-hate relationship with. You know these people. The T-S-A. Somebody say, oh me. Okay? The T-S-A have a, have a saying. If you see something or suspect something, say something. That's their saying. And Monroe Regional got that locked down. All right? <laughs> It might, it's, like, it's like Monroe Regional ain't letting nobody through. They suspected everybody, okay? <clears throat> All right, so here's how I think we rephrase the TSA and the Home Depot mottos. I'm going to wrap up here in just a second, promise. If you, if you see a need or suspect a need, meet the need. If you see a need or you even suspect a need... Be willing to meet that need. Would you do that for me? If you're willing to do that, you'll change the world. If you see a need or suspect a need, meet the need. And it's not about what you have to give. I promise you don't have the right things to give. But God will bestow upon you what is critical in the moment of need. If you have a see the need or suspect a need, I'll meet the need kind of a mentality. Home Depot's motto, some of you know what it is. Some of you know what it is. I found out after I became a homeowner. Right? You're going to Home Depot a lot to get stuff that you feel like it, on the front end you can use. And then on the back end you realize you were crazy for thinking you could use it because you don't have the skills required to actually do the repair. Home Depot's telling you you can do. But they're still telling me, you can do it, Trent. We can help. I'm like, man, I can't do it. No, Trent, come on in. You can do it. We're going to help you do it. Man, you ain't showing up at my house fixing my plumbing after I screwed this all up. I can't do it and y'all ain't helping, Home Depot. All right, so Home Depot 2.0 is God can do it, you can help. God can do it and you can help, okay? Whatever it is that you, that you come up against in your world, you need to remember this truth, that God can definitely do it. I don't care what it is. God can definitely do it. And I don't care how broken down, messed up, inexperienced, uneducated, or like a failure you feel. I promise you can help. God can do it. You can help. Last thing I want to mention, a world-changing heart is a heart that gives God glory. A world-changing heart is a heart that gives, gives God glory. Think about this. Let's say I won the lottery. And you came to me with a vision. You wanted to open a restaurant. And you said, Trent, I want to open a restaurant. I need $100,000. Let's say I wrote you a check, gave you $100,000. Let's say you opened a restaurant and you managed it to a T. You were surgically precise. Every dish you served was perfect, exactly as advertised. Every customer that walked in got a personal touch from you and a concierge level of service. The restaurant opened on time. The, the ice and the glasses uh, was never gone. The, the liquid in the glasses was always there. They, they put your leftovers in a little thing for you. You didn't have to do that on yourself. And let's say every person that came into your restaurant, you managed it perfectly, but let's say every person that came into your restaurant, you said, man, I want you to look up there. And you directed them to a picture of my face on your wall. And let's say you said, now that guy right there, let me tell you something about this guy. This guy, and then I don't have time today, all right? But let's say you went on to list all of my good qualities, all right? 
And I know, I know you're thinking of them all right now. And I want you to, I want you to get back into what I'm saying. Alright, not thinking about my good qualities. Let's just say you couldn't get over it. Every person that came in there, man, look at the picture of this guy. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you all of his great stuff. Let me tell you about how he started this restaurant. And then let's say you came back to me. And you said, hey, Trent, I'm, I'm now wanting to do a second restaurant. I'm wanting to open this other kind of business. Would I give you the money? Yeah. Why? Because you gave some credit where credit was due. And I probably wouldn't just give you a hundred grand next time you came asking for cash. I'd give you two hundred grand or maybe even a million bucks. Finally, somebody gets me, I'd be thinking. You know, somebody understands my good qualities. They're finally starting to understand. This is, this is a parable that Jesus teaches us in Matthew 25, the parable of the bags of gold or the talents in some translations. Jesus said there was a rich guy who gave a guy five bags of gold, one, two, and one, one. The guy who had five, was given five bags came back with five bags more, ten bags total. The guy that was given two bags came back with two more, but the guy that get, was given one just came back with the one he was given. And what Jesus is trying to teach us there, man, is if we'll give God glory, and if we'll remember he's the source of every good and, and, and perfect thing, and that it's him who has equipped us for every good work, and if we will just not be able to keep our mouths shut about how great our God is or about how good He is and He's willing to give broken, messed up people all the resources we need to be successful in whatever area He calls us in and we love Him and we're thankful for His grace and His mercy and what His Son did for us on the cross at Calvary and for His forgiveness. And if we can't keep our mouths shut, He won't keep His blessings from flowing. He's looking for people who are totally sold out to him. That's, that's, what, that's what Peter and John were willing to do, man. This guy goes back into town. He says, these guys did something crazy. They're like, no, no, no. This ain't from us. Let me direct you to this picture. You see this cross? This is the cross on which Jesus died. And it's through him we can do every single thing we're doing. Let me tell you about it. That's the attitude I want you to have, church. I want you to be that kind of man or that kind of woman. And maybe you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never been clothed with Christ. You've never been baptized into Christ. I'm going I'm to wrap with a word of prayer. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward and surrender your life. Or maybe God's put a burden on your heart that's bigger than you feel like you can handle. I promise God's doing that on purpose. And I promise you cannot handle it. But if you'll seek for your resources in Him, He'll give you everything you need to overcome or minister to that situation. If you got any other need in your life, as I'm closing, I pray you take a step at changing the world you're a part of today, if you need to do that, by coming forward and letting us pray for you and minister to you. Let's bow. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for your Word and for your church, a church that is at work in our community, God, in so many ways. And I just ask that we as a congregation, as a people, as your body here on earth, would take the next step towards changing our world by being compassionate in the life that we live. God, I ask you to bless and strengthen any who need to take the next step in their lives today. And I ask all these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.